0: welcome again touch heaven family easter service those online thank you for joining us wherever you're at some of you will be listening to this afterwards at another time Uh, jesus is eternal so whatever we do here now is is just as good as it is tomorrow as it is today amen bless the lord so good to see some of you that i haven't seen in a little while some of you that are new and fresh and back Another service will have you introduce yourselves so that people could get to know you. And uh, I'm just so happy and thrilled to see a thriving church, to see an alive church, to see young children and, and the beauty of that happening in our house. Uh, God is so good to us. Let's cover in prayer, please. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the word of God. We thank you for the revelation of the resurrection. We ask you, Lord, to allow us to commune with you this morning. And we ask you, Lord, to enable us to just get a glimpse of the awesome, awesome power and authority of your resurrection. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You'll notice we have, uh, we're celebrating both Resurrection Sunday and Passover here and it's not often that they absolutely merge according to calendars that's the issue because Passover is going with the Nisan with the Hebrew calendar and uh, Easter as we call it is going with the the uh, the Roman calendar so on that instance uh, we and by the way the reason I keep saying resurrection Sunday isn't because I'm religious um, I'm okay with Easter, but, you know, Easter originally came from a goddess, and so, while I don't get stuck in that, and I don't have a problem with a Christmas tree, in fact, I like them, um, I, I, just, I just feel led that we're going we're gonna to proclaim Resurrection Sunday, and we're not going to allow anybody or anything else to get a glimpse of, of that glory, amen? So, it's Resurrection Sunday for us, and uh, although they're going to be hunting Easter eggs downstairs, that's okay. 400 of them, and if I catch any of you adults sneaking down there, we're going to tell on you. Uh, Your your children will do well by themselves. They'll find the eggs, trust me. Trust me. Um, There's so much about the two correlations of Passover and Resurrection Sunday. First of all, both are about freedom and deliverance. Correct. I'm not going to get into much detail about Passover this morning. I want to get into some other points before we have communion together. <clears throat> and part of that is, is that we understand that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of Israel in what we know as Exodus. And that Exodus was an amazing feat of God. And after 430 years of slavery in Egypt, the children of Israel were finally set free. They were set free by The Lord moving and moving and moving upon uh, Pharaoh. He would not budge. He was stubborn. Sounds a little familiar in the world today. And finally, with the last plague, the killing of the firstborn of the Egyptians and all those who did not have the blood of the lamb over their door. And that is the concurrent theme. It's the blood of the lamb. So the Lord commanded his children, the Israelites, through Moses, that they would kill a lamb and they would put the blood over their door. And if so, the angel of death, which was set free that night, to go through and to kill the firstborn of anybody who, who wasn't covered by the blood, um, was, they were covered and they were safe. We understand that you can imagine how strange and eerie this was to these Israelites. First of all, there were nine plagues that couldn't move Pharaoh. Now, there's a lot of different thoughts and theories about how long those plagues were. Some say 40 days, some say a few months. There weren't many days between them is the point. And so it was a constant pounding by the Lord through Moses. One plague, another plague, another plague, another plague. Frogs, uh, water turning to blood. Fleas, which were like ticks. All kind of different things that the Lord plagued them with. But Pharaoh would not would not yield. He would yield for a moment, which we can see today as a parallel to the world, is it not? 9-11, we yielded for a moment, didn't we? The pandemic which stopped the whole world and put it on a pause. The only thing that people remember about it now is they're not getting free what they got then, and the issues aren't the same as they were in that moment. But everybody's forgotten the fact and the, 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 the pleas unto the Lord to save people from a, a plague, from a pandemic. So finally, finally, the Lord gives that decree through Moses, through a servant. And he says, cover the posts with the blood of the lamb. <clears throat> now that has sound very strange to these people because really, the best we know, they'd sort of gotten somewhat disconnected from their Jewish faith. After 430 years, they didn't have a temple. They potentially maybe had spiritual leaders, but not really. There wasn't psalms and song and a ritual of the Sabbath that was really kept, maybe quietly by some. They had become, if you want to say, you know, desensitized culturally, which, by the way, is what's trying to happen here on the earth right now, is desensitizing people culturally. That's one of the steps that goes into finally yanking people away from their God and from their reality and from not only that, but from identity. And so <clears throat> here they are. They believe Moses now because of these nine plagues, but they still aren't set free. They don't have a mindset to see and understand and comprehend the living God. They just understand the circumstances around them. And he tells them to do this. And I can imagine that with a lot of trepidation and a lot of confusion, they go ahead and they put this blood on the doorsteps. And they're also told to get themselves ready to flee quickly. They're told to make a bread, an unleavened bread, so that it can go with them to sustain them. And they don't understand what all of that means. But most do. Now, we don't have any accounts of those who didn't, but I would imagine to say there probably were a few who didn't, and they probably paid the price. And so that night, there's an eerie sound that goes throughout Egypt. We can basically understand it mostly in Cairo, but it goes throughout Egypt, and they begin to hear wailing, wailing of mothers who have dead children in their arms, wailing of fathers crying out, what happened to my son? Fathers dying as the firstborn sons, grandfathers dying as the firstborn sons. Death creeps Throughout Egypt and by dawn there's dead corpses all over the land from the angel of death that passed over those that didn't have the blood of the lamb this was on Passover now as I said to you at the keyboard we can pretty much specifically nail the date for Passover it's about 1433 AD and It was on an April 3rd, and the angel of death passed by potentially about 3 a.m., a lot of threes, a lot of threes. And that's because, you see, science can determine exactly the moons all the way back to that. They can determine when there was an eclipse and wasn't an eclipse in the earth. How many of you know that science has proven that there was an eclipse in the earth? When Christ went on the cross, the earth turned dark. It's truth. So we understand that when science wants to, (laughs) it can validate scripture. When science can't validate scripture, what does it do? It just denies it, unfortunately. Because empirical means what you see with your senses. Spiritual is what we accept in the spirit of God. So we see the correlation, Passover, Lamb of God. We see the correlation that this was a great move of God, a wonderful move of God to call forth a people, to call back a nation that he had promised years and years before that would come forth. And then we fast forward, approximately 2,000 plus some years, maybe 33, who knows, close, maybe less because of the the correlation of how days are lost by the lunar versus this, so it's probably less. But in any regard, it's irrelevant. What happens is we fast forward now to Christ on earth. People are bonded. They're in bondage. They're lost. We need a deliverer, a Gael. In Hebrew, it's G-O-E-L, Gael. Moses was called Gael, the deliverer. Abraham was a deliverer, David was a deliverer, Jesus, a Gael, a deliverer. And so people have been looking for the deliverer for all these years. Israel again slips back into being subservient to the Romans. They go through all kinds of issues, the exile to Babylon and back and back and forth. And finally there's this lull, there's this pause where nothing's really happening. Nothing's going on. It's as if it becomes to a sudden doll. But what does happen is that the Hebrew religion begins to grow and grow within itself and becomes so religious that there's virtually no spirit left whatsoever in the leaders. John the Baptist precedes his cousin. We understand that in the first Passover, by the way, was when Jesus was baptized. How many of you know that? First Passover, he was baptized. So we see the correlation again to Passover. We see again the second Passover with Jesus. This is in his ministry that he was fellowshipping over by the Galilee. And then the third one is what has been called the Last Supper, but the truth of it was, it was his last Pesach, his last Passover here on earth. Now there's again, you know, I I like to research and look a lot. There's again a little bit of a of a challenge: did he have Passover on the preparation day before he went to the cross, or was it on the first day of Passover? You need again to understand how days are correlated according to the Hebrew calendar. The day starts at the sundown. For example, Saturday started at sundown on Friday, as we would say it. So there's about a six-hour difference, isn't there, from the midnight difference. And so the question mark is, was the Passover that Jesus served, was that the day before or the day of? It's irrelevant in the sense of what the outcome was because Jesus rose from the dead. It's a little interesting because according to the Hebrew law of the time, you could not prepare and do any work on the Sabbath. And so we know that Christ was brought back off the cross before the Sabbath. That would have made it before 6 o'clock on Friday night, which means that potentially his Passover was Thursday, the preparation day, and he went right from the Passover to the garden and from the garden arrested and right in. It all happened very quickly. If you read the Scriptures, we don't have time to get into it in detail. You'll understand that the, the mock trial and everything that was done with Jesus was done throughout the night until early morning. So potentially it was right from the Passover dinner to the garden and right into the mock trial with Caiaphas first, who happened to be the son-in-law of the, next, of the other priest, and then to that priest, and then to Pilate. Jesus. I think the most important thing for us to grasp is that Jesus died. There are many who try to indicate and make light of it. There are some that have gone so far to say that he was in a state that was as if he was dead, but he was put in the tomb and he revived in the tomb. We understand there's been so many stories about that. We understand the scriptures tell us, both through Matthew and mostly in John, that the soldiers were paid to say that his body was stolen because they couldn't explain what happened to him and how he got out of the tomb. But what's most important for us to understand is that Jesus died. We understand through Psalms 34 verse 20 that it's a prophetic psalm, some call it a psalm of deliverance, it's ultimate deliverance of Jesus. And in that particular verse it says, not a bone of his body is broken. So that when it came time and it was getting late, And they had to get the dead bodies off the cross. That's why some of you will understand why I'm so protective of the altar, not to have dead bodies at the altar. Because it's not that I'm legalistic. It's because Jesus came to fulfill the law. And nothing dead could be upon the altar of God. So I honor that. I respect that. I fight for that. And so what happened was it came time to get these three dead men or dying men, off the cross. And what happens is, as you well know, many of you on the cross, you begin to suffocate. Your lungs begin to collapse. But the tendency is to keep pushing up to stay alive. The human spirit fights to stay alive. And the way they stop that is by breaking the legs of the ones on the cross to get it done with faster because then they have no way of supporting themselves. They suffocate faster. They broke the legs of the first thief, they broke the legs of the second thief, and when they came to the cross that Jesus was on, there was no life in him already because he gave up the ghost. He cried out, it's finished. What he had come to do as the sacrificial lamb was finished. That's why we say worthy is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world at Passover, they had literally a lamb. Typically, they, by the law, it was supposed to be a lamb that was about 14 months old. I don't know if there was enough lambs to go by that at that moment, but that's what they had. But on our cross was the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So they didn't break his legs. But to be sure, the Roman soldiers were very, very trained in this, these executioners. They stuck a spear in his side. And what came out was a mixture of serum and blood, and that's the telltale. That's how you know somebody died when the serum separates from the blood. It's the water and the blood. And they said, he's dead. A rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, he came and he asked for that body. They don't say it in the scriptures, but I would guarantee you that the Romans didn't give him the body for free. He probably had to bribe somebody. That's the way they were. They were all about being bribed in money. And he took that body along with the ladies and they met Nicodemus. Nicodemus who had come in the night. You see the correlations of the scriptures, how things just keep connecting. Now, Joseph was what we would call a Closet believer, (laughs) there's many of them today, trust me. A lot of Jews today that are closet believers. I think there's some Muslims that are closet believers. I think there's regular people that are closet believers. They just don't want to let everybody know that they're born again because it carries a connotation, right? And Nicodemus meets up with Joseph and they go with the ladies and they prepare the body, just as I mentioned to you. They get the the good linen to to swaddle the body in. Not just one roll of linen, but rolls and rolls of linen. And they take it right up to the shoulders and leave the neck and the head free, clear, face up. And in between the, the linen and the body, provided by Nicodemus, over 100 pounds of spices and aromas. Some come in powders and they make a mixture out of it because the myrrh becomes a paste, and they paste it on the body, his whole body. And then they wrap the clothes around it, leaving the neck and the head open. They placed the body inside of this tomb, and the openings at that time, and these were for rich people, were about four feet. Now, of course, we assume they were shorter at that time, but they still couldn't fit through at four feet. And so you had to duck to get in. And when they put the body there, they swaddled the head with a fine linen, like a prayer cloth. And they put it over our Lord's head. Now, they took the stone, from the best we can understand, and this also comes from secular writings. That stone had to weigh anywhere from one and a half to two tons. And it was a mighty effort to roll it in front of that cave. And then the Jews went back to Pilate, and they said, this deceiver, his disciples will try to deceive again because he said that if we killed him, he would raise again. So we need to have a patrol to make sure they don't come and steal his body, and so they put a big patrol. Estimate is at least a dozen of them. Roman guards that were always intended to guard royalty. Each one was trained, trained to be able to at least, be able to protect a six foot area around themselves with menacing weapons. So they formed this cocoon of guardian around the tomb. And they watched and waited all night long. We understand that the clock was clicking differently. But when dawn came, the women ran to the cave. I don't know what they expected to see probably just were upset. They couldn't sleep all night, I would imagine. If any of you have been around some terrible deaths with friends and that, your sleep is bothered. They ran to the tomb and all of a sudden, they saw something very strange. And John gives us a history of it through revelation that an angel came as a blast from heaven and removed that stone. One of the writings doesn't say removed. It says through that stone. Interesting that the stone wasn't just somehow laboriously rolled away, just enough to get in the cave, but it was as if an angel picked it up and threw it. Far enough away that anybody who saw it said, something supernatural happened. And then the angel was sitting on a stone, waiting for the ladies. And when they came, they asked him what happened, and he said, your Lord is risen. They didn't dare go in the cave, they just peeked and ran. And they began to say, he's not there, he's gone, he's not there, he's gone. And then John writes to us and says, of course he's John, writing about John and Peter. And he tells us that these two disciples begin to streak and run, to the cave. To go see what she's talking about, she's telling them there's an angel sitting on a rock. The rock has moved. The rock's moved over here. There's nothing in the cave. He's gone. Woo, 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 woo. Did they? St- we don't know what happened. You know, John, since he was the author, he got to brag on himself a little bit, and he bragged about how he ran faster than Peter. And he got to the cave first and then Peter got in. Interesting though, I don't think John went in first because it says Peter leaned in. Remember, it was only about four feet, so Peter had to lean in to look. When he leaned in and looked, then everything came back to him, what the Lord had told him. This body will raise again in three days. John still didn't believe. Interesting. John confesses it. But when he went in and he saw the grave clothes were empty and that they had collapsed in the spices and not one wrap was removed, he knew then that the body of Jesus Christ removed from the grave crows and from the tomb supernaturally. He was risen. And then he looked over to the side, and there was folded the head napkin. And John knew what that meant, and so did Peter. Jesus had folded his own head napkin, telling them all, I'll be back. I'll be back, as was their custom. We understand that many have tried for years and years to shoot holes in the resurrection. And that's why as we fast forward, Jesus said, I must go, and he did ascend. He said, but I'm going to send you one who is even greater than I am for what he could do for you. And then we understand Pentecost and the sending of the Holy Spirit. And because of the Holy Spirit, we aren't those who need to wonder and doubt because we're alive every day with him. It's not just history to us. It's not a religion. It's not a cultured faith. It's real and alive. He's in us. We're in him. And because of that, we have an understanding. You know, I liken it to this. If you saw the journey, the movie, and if not, you'll likely see it, it'll be recirculating more. One thing was most amazing to me, it actually brought tears to my eyes. At the conclusion of it, Andrea Bocelli is at an altar, and he's kneeled down and he's praying, and the camera's in on him, and he's singing. And he's singing, once I was blind, but now I can see. And he's blind. And I thought, wow, for a blind man who has probably the best tenor voice in history for as far as we know, to be singing Once I Was Blind and Now I Can See, that's spirit-driven. That's driven from the spirit because he can't see. He has every reason in the world to be bitter. He has every reason in the world to make excuses for what he can't do, but instead he does more and more and reaches out. Running his race, Andrea Bocelli and his family are Catholics. Is there such a thing as a Pentecostal Catholic? I think he's one. I don't know. But let me tell you something. It's the cross. That's why Paul preached that it's at the cross. Paul understood the power of the cross. He understood what it meant when we embraced the truth of the cross that Jesus Christ went on the cross, Jesus Christ died physically on the cross. But beloved, this is another misnomer, sometimes especially of Christian theology, Western theology. I once heard a man preach that when Jesus said into your hands I commend my spirit to the Father on the cross that his spirit immediately went to heaven that's not true because Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 19 and, uh, 9 and 10 he says who is he that he ascended but that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth those were his words the soul that sins must die if Christ's soul didn't die for sin, then that means yours and mine still can. In fact, it must. You see, it was wonderful that he died on the cross, but two thieves died on the cross next to him. They didn't descend into hell. They didn't conquer hell. They didn't die for my sins. They didn't have the eternal light to where they could compress all of eternity into moments of days and hours where he could become the eternal lamb that atones for all of our sins in one moment of eternity, that stills lasting the blood that keeps on covering and saving us. He descended into hell. And what he was saying was, Lord, I know, I know I can trust you. That even though I'm descending into hell, even though I said I will go, even though I will bring you back your family, Father, I have to trust you with my spirit, when the time comes, Father, when that time comes and the price has been paid in full, Lord, we're going to resurrect me. Again, I don't have time, but Paul taught this. Philippians 3:10, he said, "This is a prayer, but it came as an exhortation, and it came as a command in his letter to the Philippians. And he said, this is what I say, this is what I declare, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings conforming even unto his death. He gave the whole gospel message in that one phrase, that one scripture. You see, I might know him if we don't really get the full revelation and understand the death The spiritual death, the death of the soul, the death of the body, the descension into hell, paying the price for sin. How many of you know there's a price for sin? Sin isn't free. Salvation is free. Sin has a price. Something has to be traded for sin. In God's book of equity, there's no such thing as a sin that doesn't have weight. And there's only one thing that can remove the sin, and that's the blood of Jesus, in faith to him. And in that morning, we're not certain when. We know it's sometime between six o'clock on Friday night before the Sabbath, and before that hour when the ladies went on Sunday morning, sometime between then and there, Jesus Christ. resurrected what happened we get it we get it through the book of Romans and we get it through Jesus himself and this is important for people to understand because when you understand this then you can walk into full authority of what God has given us to be how can two walk together unless they be in agreement and so tells us clearly in Romans 6, 4, he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. So when Paul says that I might know him, who? To know the power of his resurrection, is it the Father? Yes, that I might know the Father to know the power of his resurrection. But then Romans 8, 11, and 10, it says that the same spirit that raised him from the dead dwells in you. And if so, he energizes your mortal body. Who's the spirit that dwells in you? The Holy Spirit. But the same spirit that dwells in you raised him from the dead, but he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. And then Jesus, this caveat John 10, this is why the Father loves me. No man takes my life. I lay it down myself and I will take it up again. Who raised Jesus? Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father. To know the power of the resurrection, we need to understand the kingdom of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. We need to embrace all three. We need to pray that we get the revelation of the fullness of the Godhead because the fullness of the Godhead That is your victory over hell. I liken it to this. No, I can't tell you that this is exactly how it went. This is how I like to see it. I like to see it that the father anguished while he watched his son being tormented and ridiculed and persecuted. God knows the torture in hell. We understand that Satan has a trophy room, that's in the Psalms. I'm assuming he was in the trophy room. Bounded up, prison chains, mocked. And he sat and he tormented and he tolerated it till the time was up. And then the Father in heaven, (laughs) the glory of the Father in heaven, commands the Holy Spirit, because he hears the voice his son from the depths of hell. Who is he ascended, but first he descended to the lower pits. Abba, it's finished. Get me out of here. The Father sends the Spirit of glory. The sovereignty and the dominion of the power of the creator of all the universe, almighty God himself, combined in the spirit of glory with the power of the son of God, who by his spoken word, everything is created. Could you imagine? How do you feel about having those three on your side? I feel pretty good about it. Hell blew wide open there's one thing I want to see when I'm in the heavenly places one day, I want to see the face of Satan when Jesus blew up in front of him. I want to see that look on his face, that terror. I want to see his kingdoms that is completely shattered and set out like a, a, a nuclear bomb going off. I want to see demons fleeing, principalities and powers bowing down and praying for mercy i want to see jesus looking at them and grabbing the keys say you don't have authority over anything anymore i have all authority i want to see him stop and preach to the captivities in prison and say i'm the risen lord i'm the promise you were wondering about you're free And he takes those prisoners captive and brings them to the Father. I want to see the graves that opened up in Jerusalem. At the power of the resurrection, they came out of the graves. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Uncle Irving, you're dead. No, I'm alive. What happened? I don't know but this flash went off and this man like an unto God came to me and said I'm free and I live again but Uncle Irving you've been dead I was dead but now I'm alive hey and then I want to see I want to see that moment the moment that saved me that saved you when our Lord went before the throne of God in those tattered robes blood-stained and as he tells us in Joshua he gave him new robes he kissed him anointed him just like the father did with the prodigal son I'm sure he embraced him. his son was home the son laid his blood down before the father he says father forgive them my blood the testament the new testament of my blood someday we're going to see that see it just in a movie theater. We're going to see it in a heavenly place. We're going to bow down before the throne and worship him like we've never worshipped him before. Because we're going to see the panorama of it all. To this day, I think the one thing that disturbs me the most is how our Lord must shed tears when people die and they're not redeemed because they won't believe. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever shall call upon his name shall be saved. But you need to call upon his name. We need to repent. We need to ask Him to forgive us, and we need to proclaim Him as Lord. We need to change. We need to stop practicing sin. We need to walk in the revelation of His righteousness. He was made sin who had never sinned, that you and I might be made the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Righteousness isn't just a standard. Righteousness is a substance called holiness. We've been made righteous. The Father doesn't see somebody who's got some flecks of sin on them yet. He sees someone who's bright, just like His Son. Righteous. Beaming glory. Somebody that he can put his arms around and hold to his bosom even as he holds his son. Christ, who is in the bosom of the Father, cries out and prays, Father, make them one even as we are one. You and me, me and you, we in them and I give them the glory that you gave me that they can be one even as we are one I don't see it I don't even hear it but I know it I'm in the bosom of the Father with Jesus right now and so are you in the bosom, in the heart, in the holy place, the bosom of the Father. I don't have to see him. I'm okay in the bosom. I'm so grateful. I'd like us to prepare for communion, please. If we can pass out our communion elements, If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what a wonderful day to do so. (laughs) You'll never forget it. 2023, Resurrection Sunday. Call it Easter if you want. You'll never forget it. You pass them out, please. And if you have, and you say, Lord, I want to recommit myself to you this morning, You know, things just aren't quite settled right. You might have been baptized. You might have given your heart to the Lord maybe once or twice. That's irrelevant at this point. The point is, don't miss the moment. This is the chance. This is the opportunity. This is the time. This is your time to say, Lord, here I am. The beauty of it is He's made it so simple that we just come as we are. We don't have to prepare ourselves and do a whole bunch of things and rituals. We don't need to put on our best dress or our best suit. We don't even need to say, well, geez, just last night I did some things I shouldn't have done. Just last night, I was in the pornography. Just last night, I did some drugs. Just last night, I drank. Just last night, I was abusive. Just last night, that was last night. This is the now. This is the time to put that all behind you. Because in him, you're a new creation. All things are made new and old things have passed away. Who would want to hold on to those old things today when you could have them all pass away? and if you're listening to me then you already know how's that been doing for you not so good i have something much better for you you're jesus my jesus the hope of eternal life the promise that your sins are washed away there's another thing that happens with redemption, sometimes right away and sometimes it takes a little while, our minds get cleared. You see, the enemy of your soul is referred to as the mind blinder. He blinds minds from seeing truth. He blinds minds to think that untruths are truths. He blinds minds not to understand the reality of the kingdom of God, but instead to be blinded by the kingdom of the earth and the world and the flesh. But something happens. The mind of Christ begins to permeate into our mind. And as we allow ourselves to flow with that faith and love of God, our minds begin to get renewed and changed. And maybe right away, and maybe over a little time, you begin to get stronger and stronger to deal with your problems and your situations. And I assure you, if you receive the Lord, if you recommit your life, and you hold fast, you're going to look back at this time, one year from now, and say, I don't even know who that person was anymore. I promise you that. Why can I promise you that? Because I've been there. Not once, but twice. I didn't know the love of God until I would backslid and went back running home, destroying myself one more time, rebelling on purpose. Gifted, baptized in the spirit, made a decision, I'm gonna quit serving God. That was 40 years ago. <laughs> I learned his love when I cried out to him, Lord, I'm sorry. I know I've lost everything. I don't expect you to do anything else for me. I can't live with this anymore. And my Savior put me in his arms again, presented me to his Father one more time. And my Heavenly Father said, Son, welcome home. Now let's get back to what we were doing. He's faithful. He's merciful. He's forever enduring. His grace never fails. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Here and online, if you say, Pastor, I want to commit my heart to the Lord right now, I'd just like you to put up your hand right where you are, please. Yes, I see you. Yes, I see you, yes, I see you, yes, I see you, yes, I see you. Online, do something. Whatever it is you feel, lad, sit up, stand up, lift your arms up. Let us all together say this prayer now, please. I believe in my Father. You are God. You sent your Son, Jesus Christ, here on earth as a man in the flesh, yet God. He never sinned, yet he was crucified. As a just man, he died on the cross. He descended into hell. He paid the price for my sins. He resurrected. And He ascended back into heaven. And it's by His blood my sins are forgiven. Father, forgive me. Jesus, redeem me. Holy Spirit, come into me. Jesus, be my Lord. Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen.